Today's episode of Candid Conversations is not suitable for young ones. Parents, please listen to this podcast without your children present. You may choose to share portions of this podcast with them later, but please listen to it first. Parents are so powerful. Our children's desire is to be seen by their parents. And when you can have that kind of close relationship with your children, when they know that what's important to them is important to you, when they know they can trust you, they know that they're loved because you spend time with them, quality time. It's not about playing a video game or going on a vacation, but truly being in a relationship with your child. Then you have won a huge battle because that child will rely on you and not the teacher, not the school, not the media. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Last week, we started a very candid conversation with Monica Klein. If you missed it, go back and listen to part one where she exposes the truth behind comprehensive sex education and the disturbing approach that she learned during training with Planned Parenthood. Today, Monica is going to share how God has taken what the enemy meant for evil and is using for good and for the saving of many lives. If you are a parent or a grandparent, please listen to both episodes and share them. Now, back to our conversation with Monica Klein. So you've had this conversion, you've left sort of Planned Parenthood and and similar types of organizations. What transition did you make? What was the next thing for you? What were you called into and and sort of the things that you're doing today? Well, that's an interesting question. So when I quit my job, it was also the same year that I met my future husband and we got Mm -hmm. married that summer. And I got to stay home with my son, you know, so I, I was able to have a Christian marriage and a Christian, you know, a family where I could actually be with my son and not be working full time. It was all a blessing. But when I quit, I mourned quite a bit because I thought, you know, God, you gave me a natural ability to do trainings or to present Mm -hmm. in front of people. I recognize that he gave me those gifts. And I thought, wow, you have given me these gifts. And for all of these years, I misuse those gifts in the worst possible way teaching Mm. things that were so harmful to people and against your design for humanity. Mm. And I thought, you're never going to let me speak again. (laughs) And that wasn't true. Mm. Um, About a year later, through some family members, I was asked to speak at a pro-life group in Waco, Texas. And so God began to use those very same gifts that he had given me for his purpose. And I was so nervous to share with this group, this pro-life group in Waco, Texas, because uh, that is the same location, the same city where Planned Parenthood invited me to teach at their sex education conference. And they literally had a conference called Nobody's Fool in a convention center. And they filled up this convention center full of school-age children from middle school to high school. And they had hundreds of teachers, volunteer teachers, come in and teach children about sex. And I hate to say that I was one of those invited teachers. Mm. 
the last year that I, I only taught there for two years. The first year I was convicted. I was so angry that we were teaching this kind of education in such depth to these young girls. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very angry about the whole thing. And I, I left just broken, absolutely broken. And I vowed I'd never go again. But the second year I was invited again and I thought, you know what, what if I go in there and I teach the girls my way, the way that I know God wants me to teach them. Mm. And Jonathan, it was pretty profound. Um, I don't know that we have time to go into it on this podcast, but I was able to use again, just simple open-ended questions to help girls think about these were, these were girls entering middle school. They were about to go into the sixth grade. Mm. And I was talking to them about their hopes, their dreams. What did they want to become? Some girls said they wanted to be nurses. Another girl said said she wanted to be a professional volleyball player. Another girl said she wanted to get into dance and ballet. You know, they had all these beautiful dreams. You know, we talked about friendships. You know, I I had them imagine someone in their life that they really trusted, that they knew they could always, you know, that they had confidence that this person would always be there for them. And I just really started to help them think about people that they could trust, uh, what they wanted in their futures. And then finally, I asked them, so what will keep you from becoming that nurse or that dancer or having that, that great relationship just, you know, with someone one day, if you start dating or you get married, you know, what will keep you from that? What are some obstacles? And those little girls, they naturally, you know, came up with, well, abusive relationships, choosing the wrong person, you know, me not behaving appropriately. And then finally, one little girl said, well, if I get pregnant, I may not be able to go to school and accomplish these things. I said, okay, so tell me more about that. What can you do? And she, you know, becoming pregnant outside of, of marriage, of course, and as a school age girl, and she looked at me confused, but she said, don't have sex. And I said, okay, well, tell me more about that. I just really wanted these kids to come up with their own answers. And they're like, well, if we don't have sex, then we don't have to worry about disease or getting pregnant. And we might even reduce our risk of being in an unhealthy relationship. I said, okay, so tell me more about that. And they're like, well, we would be able to go to school and we'd be able to have better friendships. And so they were coming up with all the answers. One little girl had a little bit of attitude. We were sitting crisscross applesauce on the ground and she stood up and put her hands on her hips. She said, wait a minute, do you want us to have sex or not? And I said, if it were up to me, just up to me, I don't believe you should be sexually active as a young girl. I think you should wait until you're married. And all those little girls, they just smiled and their shoulders dropped. They looked so at peace and they were happy, happy that I gave them permission not to be sexually active. Now, the reason that little girl asked me that, do you want us to have sex or not? Is that she knew why she was there. Yeah. Her parents dropped her off at a sex education conference. And the whole point of that conference was to be sexually active and learn how to reduce your risk through the use of barrier methods. Mm. And my message to her, and really my message, I wasn't even saying don't have sex. I was really just asking them questions and helping them realize what was their potential and their value. And they came up with that answer. So that was my last year working 
uh, volunteering there because that was the same year that I also quit my job. But then the following year, Pro-Life Waco invited me over. And not only did I share my testimony with the pro-life group there, they invited me back and said, come and stand in front of the Nobody's Fool Sex Ed Conference and help us warn parents to not allow their children to come in. And so I stood there with the pro-life Waco group with a microphone, letting parents know what their children would be taught inside and that they could do a better job at home. And many parents turned away and did not let their children go into that conference center. And that was the last year that Planned Parenthood hosted that sex ed conference in Waco. Mm. And, and I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to attribute the success of that to me as much as the people of pro-life Waco. Um, they are beautiful, strong Christian people who have done great work in that city. And I really think it was their efforts, their, their consistent efforts that kept that conference from being hosted again. And now you're working on the policy side of things and you're still speaking at events and um, you've got somewhat of a, a public profile in this sphere. Is that right? That's right. So, you know, I, I did a lot of pro-life speaking from that first opportunity that, that I had there in, in Waco, Texas. And started working with Abby Johnson as well. Um, she reached out to me uh, because she knew I was a former, you know, person who had been trained by Planned Parenthood. And so we do a lot of work together as well. And then I decided to create my own organization called It Takes a Family. And the reason um, I named it It Takes a Family is because of what Planned Parenthood taught me, that parents are a barrier to service. And I knew that parents are the key. You see, this agenda, they have several obstacles, but their number one obstacle is the nuclear family. Their number one obstacle is a single mom or a single dad. A parent who is involved in caring and protecting their child is Planned Parenthood's greatest obstacle. So my goal through It Takes a Family is to build up those families, whether they're whole families, blended families, the original family or a single family, and educate those parents on how to have these conversations with their children. And it does not have to be graphic. It is not me teaching parents to teach what Planned Parenthood does, you know, their method. Definitely not, because that's not how I taught my child. But I give them the information that they need so they can build trust and confidence with their children so they can Mm. talk to them about their bodies and, and any questions that they have about sex things that, you know, puberty, things like that. But I also teach parents about the culture so that they understand what's happening in the culture. What are the biological absolutes? You know, what is what is the truth? Uh, and be able to help them wade through what is a lie and what is actually truth. Because what I'm finding, Jonathan, is that I have parents calling me from all over the nation who are sharing that their children do not believe that their parents are leaders. Um, They're very condescending towards their parents because they've been taught in school by teachers or by Planned Parenthood that parents are ignorant, that parents who are Christian are hateful. Um, I have parents calling me, telling me that their children come home and say, mom, dad, do you know that we worship a God of hate because God does not accept homosexuality? Um, They're believing these things. And if mom and dad don't have a proper response to that, they're going to lose the, the fight. 
And so when a parent is able to speak to their children and say, okay, well, let's sit down and talk about this. Let's talk about who God really is. Let's talk and have those conversations with your children. They begin to trust the parent. They're like, oh, mom and dad know what they're talking about. And what I was just taught at school is not correct. Um, And so I really want to strengthen families in this country and across the globe. I've had people in, in Mexico calling, asking for resources so they can you know, build family in Mexico. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to build a team of people so we can put some resources together so that we can impact the globe for God's design for humanity, God's design yeah. for male and female, God's yeah. design for marriage, God's design for, you know, our, our parenting role and our identities. Um, the answer to me in many ways seems easy because when we have Christ, we know God's design. He's already designed it. The science is on our side um, because God is the author of science as well. I wonder if you could just help us navigate the different philosophies that are battling out here. Because, I mean, some of the questions that are popping up in my head are things like, what's leading parents to forfeit their teaching of these things? Um, but you're sort of explaining that these types of organizations and the things that are in schools are are actually working to tell children that you can't essentially can't trust the parent. And so who can you trust at that point? You know, that's a really good question. I did a table talk recently with some young adults in their twenties and I was sharing my testimony and sharing everything I've just shared with you as well. And and about it takes a family and these 20 somethings literally, they just looked at me and they said, what has happened to family? Why is it? that parents are giving up their authority over their children. And I thought, thank you. They were listening. They actually heard what I said, but they recognized it. Why are parents silent? Why aren't parents saying anything? Um, And I think, you know, there, there's a lot of things at play. I think that in many ways, our public school system, uh, we've become so dependent on it that we think, Mm -hmm. I'm no longer the expert on any of these subjects. So I'm just going to hand my child over to the public school and have them teach them about history and government and capitalism and biology and fetal development because they're the experts. They went to school. Um, just like me when, when the director of Planned Parenthood sex education department told me all these stories and gave me the, the solution. And I was thinking that's not a very good solution, but I trusted her because she's quote unquote the expert. Right. And I think a lot of parents have decided that we have to somehow, um, rely on all these so-called experts to raise our children. And that's not the case. We are the stewards. And I think this is what's so powerful about a Christian family. We know that God has placed our children in our care. We are the stewards over those children. Nowhere in the Bible do I ever see that God says, send them over here to get educated. Send them over there to talk about sex. Send them over there to talk about these other things because you don't know what you're doing. No, we are to teach our children as we're walking by the way and as we're sitting together. It is our responsibility. We are to take that authority that God has given us to be that steward and primary educator over our children. And I think our culture has become so comfortable um, Mm. in that we are now giving authority to the public school. We're giving authority to even our general practitioner when we take our child to an appointment. You know, one of the things that um, that's happening is that a lot of general practitioners will say, okay, you can wait here and I will meet with your child by yourself. 
there's no law that says that that's supposed to happen. And let's make sure that no law is ever passed that that should happen. A parent doesn't have to give privacy to that doctor. Uh, My point is, is that you need to have a confident relationship with your child so that your child and you have those conversations. And I've been able to do that with my son, even now at the age of 21, you know, just this other weekend, he shared some things with me that I was like, wow, I can't believe he's still sharing things with me like this. (sighs) But he does it because he knows that he can trust me. And since he was a little boy, because of what I knew that Planned Parenthood was doing, I always told him, I am your greatest advocate. I'm telling you right now, there is no one else in the world who will protect you and want you to know the truth as much as me. I am that person. And so if you hear something anywhere from a friend or from a teacher anywhere that doesn't sound like something I would have told you, I want you to come to me and ask me that question. And I will not become angry. I will always be there for you. I will never reject you. And so I proved to him that that's what I would do. Um, He would come with a question and I wasn't angry about it. If he did something, I wasn't angry about it, but I gave him truth. Um, And he continues, even at the age of 21, to share things with me. He's not a perfect child. I'm not a perfect mother. uh, And God does not expect us. He knows we're not going to be perfect. But we need that confidence built within our family to be able to talk about these issues. Now, I do know that a lot of parents are like, well, how do I talk about homosexuality? How do I talk about transgender? How do I talk about all these different topics? I get it. And this is why I work with so many different groups of people to get that information so that we can teach it to parents so that they are able to lead the conversation at home, lead the conversation in the community, and lead it in policy as well. It is so important. Um, And our children need to see us leading. Uh, They need to see us as leaders in the home, in the community, and through policy. It's very important to model that to our children. We cannot just throw up our hands and say, well, I don't get it. Uh, I don't understand it. And what I'm learning from the younger generation is that they don't want that either. Um, They want a a healthy marriage. They want, you know, these 20 somethings that I was meeting with, they said, we want to know what the ideal for marriage is. We Hmm. want to be parents who have authority over our children. So I think that there is a big wave here and Christians have an opportunity. Pastors have an opportunity to be part of that, to strengthen God's design for family. And I love that you put that importance on that, because certainly a lot of the issues that we're facing today have a lot to do with the breakdown of the nuclear family, which is clearly God's design, the family unit. Um, A question I have, and I want to get into sort of you thinking as Monica Klein today and a little bit as Monica Klein before your transformation and and, uh, salvation in Christ. And some of these things are does Planned Parenthood and the similar entities not want their methods known? It sounds like that was some of the uh, information that you were passing on to us. It sounds like they don't want their methods known. And if that's the case, why? Yeah, well, you definitely see that. And I think when I was teaching back in the 90s um, and into the 2000s, that was very much the case. Um we were snuck into schools. Um, you know, we, we did everything in, in secret, basically. Today, I think they're a lot more bold with their messaging. I mean, you can go to a Planned Parenthood YouTube site and see exactly what they stand for. You can go to amaze.org, which is an offshoot of Planned Parenthood, and see exactly 
um, what they're for. Um, and by the way, amaze.org is a, is a horrific resource uh, that's in cartoons that is highly sexualized for children. It's, it's, I don't know how we have not already, our legislators haven't called that child pornography. Right. But um, so in many ways, there are, you know, these videos are out there, their resources are out there. So in many ways, you can see what they stand for. But yet in schools, they will not allow copies of their programs to be widely available or make copies of it. And they use copyright laws to keep parents from being able to take pictures and show it to everyone. So they limit the ability of parents to see those sex ed curriculums. What they do is the school will say, sure, you can come see the curriculum. They have one curriculum available at the school or sometimes at a different office. They'll tell parents they have to make an appointment. They limit the, the, the times of days or even the days in which they can come see it. They're not allowed to take pictures or, or copies so that they can share it at a parent meeting uh, because of copyright laws. Um, and so in many ways, they still hide it. And really, when a parent goes to look at a curriculum, they should be asking, not only do I want to see the curriculum that my child is going to see, but I want to see the trainer's curriculum. Because mm-hmm. the trainer's curriculum has all of the notes of what you should be emphasizing and saying to the children. Also ask that you want to see all the handouts and the resources that will be given to the children. Because many times you will find that their resources are even more graphic than the curriculum itself. And really the curriculum is already graphic. In addition to that, there's now also a move because of the transgender movement to change pronouns. They'll be teaching part of the sex education now is to teach children to not use pronouns. Um, and they don't even want them to refer to their mother and father as mother and father. Don't use mom and dad because it's gender specific. So you see this attack on God's creation of male and female. You see this attack on God's creation for sexual intimacy and marriage. You see this attack on God's design for marriage and family. They're negating everything about God's creation. It's it's amazing when you see it through a biblical worldview, right. everything that they're teaching goes against very specifically God's creation for humanity. I wonder if you could help us understand, because you've you've been on a staff and worked and done training and you've worked with people in that same capacity, what tends to be the mindset of these staffs? Is it sort of ignorance? Is it like the ladies that were talking with you where they're just saying, hey, look, the evidence shows that these girls are pursuing these things. And so that's sort of, uh, you know, we walk that out to its logical ends. What does that kind of look like from, and I know you can't speak for everyone, but just a little bit of your own experience and then and then some of the maybe the people you worked with their own kind of thought process through some of these things well their worldview is definitely that children are sexual from birth and that they have a right to sexual pleasure um they have a very um strong feelings that christianity is um judgmental and that it's christians who are actually harming children because they shame children and they shame sex. And so much of the work 
in all honesty, there, it was definitely a feeling that Christianity was a problem and that their sexual rights and their sexual freedoms, what was, is what was more important and inclusive of all people. And so they truly believe that. And so, you know, after one of those, um, conferences that I did in Waco with the young girls, I was with some of my coworkers you know, and I was already transforming at this point. And I said, don't you realize, I mean, these little girls are, they're little, I mean, they're just starting middle school. Why would we be introducing them to becoming sexually active? And, and basically this introduction was, you know, not only are you going to be sexually active because you're going through puberty, but you're going to get a disease and we're going to teach you through showing you this video on how to navigate the healthcare system and how to tell all of your sexual partners that you have a disease. I mean, it, it was just horrific. And, and I pretty much said that to my coworker and she said, you know, Monica, the truth is, is that girls should have the freedom to have sexual pleasure. And she explained to me that men were selfish, especially young men, and that it was her goal to make sure that girls were able to find pleasure. And so all of this revolved around pleasure and quote unquote, freedom and empowerment of women. And you and I know, Jonathan, that that's not what's really happening. This is enslavement, really. And so they truly believe that these are good things. They really think that they're helping these young girls. And it's mostly girls. They really believe it. They want everything that contradicts God's design. They feel that it's limited. They feel it's judgmental and that it's shameful. And just like Planned Parenthood said, they don't believe that young girls are being abused when they're with an older man. They actually felt that that was something that might be beneficial to her. So it's a very twisted, very twisted view. I believe that there are many people who get into this field thinking that they're helping. And I did that. Uh, Abby Johnson, when she shares her testimony, she also thought that she was helping people, that we were doing something good. Mm -hmm. And I think it really takes a transformation to realize that there is actually a lot of harm coming out of this. And it seems so obvious to you and to me today, because we have a biblical worldview, but when you don't, you are led by compassion. And this is what I say a lot of times in my speeches is that I was led by my compassion. I really believe that this was a compassionate approach. But when you have compassion and you allow your compassion to make decisions or, or to help someone and you don't have God's truth, then that can lead you down a lot of dark roads. So for them, Compassion is, I'm going to meet this young girl where she's at, and I'm going to give her condoms, I'm going to give her resources, and I'm going to tell her to keep going where she's going. And that was the compassion. But without God's truth, we're not going to realize that that's not real compassion. And I think for many people, even some Christians that I've met, they see these vulnerable populations and they think, well, this is the best that we can do. I'm like, absolutely not. We do the best that God can do. That's what we do. And so we need to approach, yes, with compassion and grace, but we cannot leave out God's truth. And we're seeing this even in, um, I don't know if you followed with uh, the Netflix series, Cuties. I haven't done a lot of research onto it, but I've, I've read some of the articles um, 
Obviously, Christians are opposed to it because it seems to be promoting a sense of pedophilia. But then on the other end, some of these organizations are defending it and saying, well, the, you know, the right and the Christian groups are fighting against this um, for all the wrong reasons and they don't understand. It's right into what you're talking about in terms of it's normalizing destructive, wicked behavior and it's coming down to worldview. Absolutely. Um, I think what's, what's so challenging is that, that there will always be people that will not be able to see clearly, just like I couldn't see clearly when I first started this type of education. Goodness, you can look at cuties and you can, who cannot see that Mm. that is wrong and that that is promoting pedophilia and that it's sexualizing children. That entire movie sexualizes these young girls. I didn't watch it, but I watched a clip that I think um, another media source had put out and it was just a scene of their dancing and everything in that scene you can find in comprehensive sex education, the right. movements that they were doing, the way that they were touching themselves and things like that. It was, it was horrific. But the truth is, is that comprehensive sex education is teaching young boys and girls about all of that, about sexual pleasure. And I'm trying, I'm trying really hard not to use um, graphic words. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for example, in Austin ISD, their curriculum was teaching girls and boys because they teach everything in mixed gender classes, um, all of their body parts. And I'll leave it at that. Every single part. Um, When I watched that video of those young girls and how they were seductively dancing uh, and the areas that they were, you know, just all of it, it, it it Mm. fit comprehensive sex education. They believe that this is, sexual freedom. They believe that this is somehow empowering to them and they're not realizing how this is an enslavement. They're not realizing how this dehumanizes our children. We need to be careful to not be desensitized to this kind of media Yeah, yeah. because, you know, the realization is that I know that right now, everyone, including my Senator here in Texas, you know, he wrote a letter to A.G. Barr, you know, saying, how is this not child pornography? So I'm yeah. really proud of him for doing that. Yeah. And uh, but, you know, my other concern, Jonathan, is that now that we've seen clips of cuties, are we going to become desensitized to that a little bit? Mm. What's right. the next thing and the yeah. next thing and the next thing? And and I had someone, a, a Christian say, you know, I don't feel called to a ministry of controversy. And, and that really upset me. Yeah, thank well, you. It, it's ludicrous, right? All, all ministry is, is going to be countercultural. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's what I'm facing here. And, you know, anyway, I'll move on from that. But <laughs> um, it, it, we cannot become so desensitized and so shocked by what we've seen that we remain silent. Yeah. We must act and we must speak. Mm. Um, and policy is important because I realize that even if parents in some way, shape or form come together and and have a a rally at the school, if at the top, if the state mandates comprehensive sex education, like they did in California, it doesn't matter how many rallies you have. If you don't have the votes, it's going to be mandated. Mm. 
So it's important that we vote. It's important that you vote in conservative people who are protecting family, protecting children, because when you don't have the votes, you're going to have what you find in California with their um, Healthy Youth Act, Mm. um, which is just in itself pornographic. And, you know, and what you can see California as a model in that not only did they mandate comprehensive sex education in the way that they did, but they were also teaching pedophilia in history class. The way they taught it was by talking about the Romans and the Greeks and such. And parents were complaining. There's a video out there where parents were complaining and saying, why are you teaching pedophilia? And the administrator said, I'm, you know, you have asked me this before and we're not teaching that. And she said, you are, you're teaching it in history. She's like, that is a history class. And we're talking about history and that is Greek history, you know? And so she was basically using language and and trying to get out of it and say, we're just simply teaching world history. But the reality is, is that they were teaching a a lesson about normalizing pedophilia because Mm. it's happened in history and it's changing the sexual attitudes of our children. And so I know many parents are in a position like, should I homeschool? What should I do? And, you know, I don't want to just give up and say, hey, our taxpayer money is going to public schools and our public schools shouldn't be doing this. So I, I stand with that at the same time. You know, if my, if my son, you know, he's, he's 21 now, but if he was a little boy, I would not want him going into that environment day after day. Yeah. Yeah. It takes its toll. It does. It takes its toll. And, uh, I don't support that either. So I definitely, you know, support and want to ensure that the laws continue to protect homeschooling families because there is an attack on homeschooling families because really the larger goal is going to be, you know, sex education is one piece of it, but really it is the destruction of the nuclear family. We're seeing Black Lives Matters talk about that, Marxism, socialism. Socialism is to destroy private, no no more, that people cannot have private property, private business, and no private family. That nothing belongs to you, not even your children. And many of these programs are doing that. The California Healthy Youth Act, they don't care what the parents think. This is what they're going to teach the children. Um, When CDC calls adolescent health and and they talk about privacy and confidentiality, they're basically saying parents don't matter. It's what the adolescents want. And so this is why it's important that we lead at home, in the community, and through policy. Because eventually, if we become a socialist country, our children will not belong to us anymore. Well, and it's a good transition because, you know, this information can feel overwhelming and uh, quite daunting, right? And so you've started to address the issue through uh, things like voting, being aware of where your candidates stand on certain issues like these. Uh, But I guess to finish that question is really, what are the things that we can do I think sometimes parents and and individuals look and just say, I feel helpless. It feels like the culture is shifting in this one direction and we feel like we don't have a voice here. Uh, We feel, can feel helpless. And so help us think, Monica, what are, what are the things that we can be doing to help in some sense, right the ship or address the issues? I think number one is to get a hold of your family. When I think about, you know, as you were asking that question, I felt great peace 
Because the truth is, is that parents are powerful. God has made it that our children desire a parent's love and guidance and attention more than anything else in this world. We can look at polls, even polls that are conducted by the liberals. They find that children say that the, that the people who would impact their decision about whether to be sexually active or not is their parents more than the media and more than peers. And so what we need is to continue to trust that in God's design for family, you know, this is kind of a strange way to describe it. But when I was in college, I worked at a children's shelter uh, with children who had been abused and, and they were now living in this home and I was their house parent. And I had to read their histories of what they had been through. And it, before I would work with them every single day, I had to read uh, the history of a new child before I would interact with that child. So I knew what to expect and how to work with them. And do you know, Jonathan, that, you know, that you can only imagine how awful these histories are in order for these children to now be in this home. Yeah. But no matter what, they love their mother and father mm-hmm. and their mm-hmm. greatest desire was that their parents would love them and that they could be reunited with them. And that makes me cry, Mm. no matter what. Mm. Parents are so powerful. I don't think mom and dad right now, if you're listening, you may not understand just what a great, amazing influence you have over your child if you would just spend time with them. And not just time, but truly know them. Truly have your, you know, as as adults, we want to be seen. We want to know that someone sees us, sees our value, acknowledges us. We want to be seen. We don't want to be ignored. Neither do our children. Our children's desire is to be seen by their parents. And when you can have that kind of close relationship with your children, when they know that what's important to them is important to you, when they know they can trust you, they know that they're loved because you spend time with them, quality time. It, it, it's not about playing a video game or going on a vacation but truly being in relationship with your child, then you have won a huge battle because that child will rely on you and not the teacher, not Mm. the school, not the media. And this is why I always verbalize that to my son. I am your greatest advocate. I am the one who will protect you more than anyone else in this world. Even if you make a decision that is harmful or wrong, you come to me because I'm going to give you the best solution because only I love you the most. I want the Mm -hmm. best for you. Mm -hmm. And they have that confidence. And so that's step number one. Moms and dads are already at a great advantage. You start doing that with your child and all else begins to fall away. So um, that is the great hope. The family is powerful. And I believe that we can just go to the Bible and in the first uh, book of the Bible and see that that is true because God created that family and he creates great things. Mm. Well, a great word. And uh, you've given us a lot to think on and um, a lot of information that a lot of us probably weren't aware of. But uh, Monica Klein, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come to Candid and to share with us. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. It was greatly, it's, it's my pleasure and honor to have been on your podcast. Thank you so much. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. 
Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.